So, yeah, so congratulations. Reinhard just got back from, what do you call it? Runaway marriage? We, uh, yes, we eloped. We had an elopement. <laughs> it was Reinhard glorious. A bush married. wedding. It was a bush wedding. Uh, a bush wedding, that's a very Australian way. Yes. It's how we do it down under, Mia. <laughs> congratulations, Thank Reinhard. You. He's Thank the happiest. Uh, Never seen him this happy. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. I do. I am ecstatic. I'm still on cloud nine. <laughs> and we decided today to do something different. We all we have a group and we always share all the news that we read about tech and the interesting things, whether bad or good. And we thought of why wouldn't we? And we always discuss these news together. Yeah. And we thought of recording these discussions in a special episode once a month. We call it Beer and Coffee with Manal and Reinhardt. Beer and Coffee with Manal and Reinhardt. <laughs> you, yes. you have to guess which one with beer and which one with coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You've been living in a dream world, Neo. A prison for your mind. So, Reinhardt, we, I posted when you were away on your wedding. Yes. I posted this poll. Poll, is it the word? Uh, yeah, on LinkedIn. Say the word. Poll. You posted poll. this poll. P-O-L-L. And I said, do you agree on the use of surveillance tools to monitor employees' productivity while working remotely? And, and you posted this on LinkedIn and you got an abs- you started an absolute storm. It was 21,847 views. Wow. I think it's the most viewed post I have on my LinkedIn. And 340 people voted. 9% said yes, they agree on using surveillance tools to monitor the employees. But 88% said no, and 4% said they didn't even know such tools existed. Yeah. And I was just showing Reinhardt a minute ago, uh, PC Magazine. Do you want to open the link and look at it, the first one? The PC Magazine tools? Yes, the PC Magazine tools. <laughs> I was doing this advertising. <laughs> Maybe you should. Well, look, it was just so startling <laughs> to see a website advertising software tools uh, for monitoring employees. So if you were a business, I was just wondering, how would I pitch this? How would I pitch this? And I just thought, you know, for the low, low price of $9.99.99, we at Terramind and Veriato Cerebral and Active Track and Controlio can help you monitor your staff and, and spy on them. I mean, the names of these, it's like it came out of a Hollywood film or something. It, it, it looks like it was scripted. Um, The best employee monitoring software for 2021 by PC Magazine. We'll put all these links for you to look at them. And it does look like from sci-fi movie, science fiction. Yeah, like 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 imagine walking into a McDonald's, except instead of seeing burgers, you have software that can help you spy on your employees. Controlio? Yeah, Controlio. What kind of a name is that? Do you want to read the all the the review of PC Magazine? Read one of them. Anyone. All right. Because it's a cloud service, Controlio's employee monitoring solution is well-priced and scalable. It's also capable with the ability to track every aspect of an employee's activities with an eye towards productivity and potential threats. Did you just see that? Yeah. Capable with the ability to track every aspect of an employee's activities. Yeah, I looked at... uh, 
turn my mind. So I looked, I clicked on their uh, demo. Oh, yes. And I was showing Reinhardt. Let me just read her mind. Oh, yes. It says, comprehensive tracking functionality can capture any user activity. These can range from screen recordings, live views of employee PCs, tracking emails and keystrokes all the way to Zoom sessions. And I went there to their you demo. launched the demo, didn't you? And yes. I was showing, I was showing Reinhardt. They actually do take screenshots. These are like hack. These are Trojan horses sitting on your machine. These are spyware yes. sitting on your machine, and recording everything. The worst ones are the ones that they take screenshots, and they turn on the mic, they turn on the camera on random times without the green light shows to you. So you don't know if the empl your employer is actually taking videos of yeah. your environment around you. So imagine you have, you're having a talk with your wife or your kids because you're working from home. And suddenly your boss knows everything you've just discussed. <laughs> with your, it's, it's like, how, how ethical these things? Like, what do you think? Would you work for someone who used these monitoring tools? No, I, well, I would think twice. I'm pretty sure based on what we learned from Angus, once I signed that contract, I sign up for all of these surveillance type methods, if I understood yeah, him so correctly. Angus, Angus Mary is a, an Australian lawyer who works heavily, he's heavily involved with digital rights. And we had to ask him this question, how legal it is for employers to use employee monitoring tools. And he said, unfortunately in Australia, exactly what Reinhardt just said, once you sign the contract, you're under the mercy of them. So I would say most of us don't know if we have these monitoring tools on our computers. And it's kind of creepy and makes you paranoid. Creepy, yeah. You were showing me screen grabs. There were, there were people on this tool that they had in the demo. And you can, as a boss, see what your employees are looking at That's on their stalking. screen. That's If you don't trust your employees, don't hire them. Yeah. And if you're paranoid, maybe you should go see a psychologist. Yeah. So I understand insecurity to use it to monitor you know, data leakage, but it doesn't go to the granularity of keystrokes key of taking, uh, turning on the camera and the mic. So yeah, definitely from cybersecurity perspective, this is, for me, is a threat for the end user privacy and security because these tools definitely can be easily hacked. And now you have wow. access to the whole company's information there and those employees, also their private life. Yeah. But from moral perspective, like, what would you do this? It's a radical inversion of the dynamic between bosses and employees. Can you imagine from a leadership perspective being in a leadership role in one of these organizations? And you, you've now created a, a, a distrust between an, an us and them paradigm in your own workforce where you have people that are like prison guards over the prisoners and... They can the panopticon, see every, the panopticon we talked about. of the workforce. That's exactly what Digitized they're creating. One. But like it, being toilet trained at gunpoint. It, so could, it would be horrendous. And Fortune magazine, they published on September 2nd, they said your company could be spying on you. Surveillance software used up over 50% since pandemic started. And they found the biggest countries who... It was shocking to me because I went, when I was looking at the list of the top users or buyers of these software, it was Sweden. U.S. and Norway. You wouldn't even... And the U.K. Well, they just seem like such friendly countries. And you wouldn't think that those countries have this. 
I understand people want to monitor productivity for their employees, but once you move the hybrid work from home, work is result driven. It's not nine to five. And nine to five was a system that was created by Henry Ford 100 years ago, because you have to be in a factory. You have to be in an assembly line where your work depending on the person before you and the person after you. So you have to, what do you call it, punch card? Yeah. They use the punch card. We don't have to do that anymore in today's, uh, you need to attend your meetings. If you have a doctor appointment or attending your kids, and then you come back and do your work, whatever time you want to do your work, as long as it's result driven. So I don't understand using the line assembly, the mill factory mentality. It's a regression, isn't it? Because some of the best companies in the world have totally abandoned this punch card mentality. So this software is driving us into actually behaviors that we've already come out of and saw were only partially effective. And now we've moved into a world where leaders inspire and provide a vision for their employees and really bring them along on a mission. And now we're abandoning that. Micromanaging them. Back to micromanaging. So this is this software is in a group called Private Surveillance. And Private Surveillance, me as an activist, I struggled with it with my government. Saudi Arabia has a lot of money. Governments like the UAE, Saudi Arabia can buy private surveillance tools and and micro-target activist journalists. And if you haven't read about the Pegasus Project, the Pegasus Project was a good investigative journalism project that was led by Amnesty and Forbidden Stories and picked up by Washington Post and I think The Guardian also was part of that media outlet that they picked up the story. They found a list of 55,000 phone numbers, and they believed that those phone numbers were people targeted by Pegasus, which is... um, Explain that for some people, Mia. Pegasus. So there is a group, uh, there is a a company, an Israeli company called NSO Group. NSO, And NSO Group are... They sell private surveillance to governments. They claim on their website that this tool, they call it Pegasus tool, they claim that it gives you access to iPhones, the iPhone, they specialized in targeting iPhones, Apple iPhones. And you don't need to click, the victim doesn't need to click anything. So it's called the zero click vulnerability. And those are the most dangerous. It takes a lot of reverse engineering and research, a lot of money. They're very expensive. They're very expensive, aren't they? It's to a find million them. dollars or something. And it has a very short shelf life. So once you find it, it could be patched by the the manufacturer, or I mean by the creator, by Apple, very easily. So it has very short shelf life. So you need, you need to have a ready market for it, a paying customer waiting for you to find that vulnerability and create an exploit. An exploit is a way, it's like that key that opens the door. You find the door in a castle, let's say a fortress, a fort, 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 a fort, yeah. A fort, fortress. Fortress, a fort, Let's say a fortress and you find a hidden door that the maker didn't know it's there and you find the key and the key is called exploit. But the interesting thing about the key that people, the victim doesn't need to click anything. So they used a missed call on your WhatsApp. There was a vulnerability on WhatsApp. If you receive a missed call, you're infected. And once you're infected, it's like they're sitting behind you and looking at your phone. So nothing can help you. If you use encrypted uh, messaging, let's say, it doesn't help because they are like sitting on your phone. They can read it client-side, all your messages and activities on your phone. Very powerful. It's very powerful. And scary. 
and very expensive, and it's been used to target me, target a lot of Saudi activists, journalists, head of states. Um, yeah, those 55,000 people that you were referring to earlier, the, the numbers. 55,000 numbers. Yes. Among those numbers were the numbers of heads of state and people like the ones I think that were Macron. Confirmed. Yes, 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 yes. French president. Yeah. The good news is the U.S. government. Let's read this. This was published in. Um, let me open the news. So the U.S. government. This is great. This is like sitting in the cafe with you and just talking about all this evil initiatives that are being launched against us. <laughs> so the Israeli spyware company added to U.S. trade blacklist. So the U.S. government recently added NSO Group, so you can export technology to them. And the better news is, this was in BBC, the, this news. The other one is that Apple actually are suing NSO Group. Because you mentioned, the, yeah. Yeah, because they are targeting Apple. The problem with having everyone using the same technology, it makes it an easy target. So every, if everyone only using Android and Apple, you just need to find a vulnerability on one of these platforms or operating systems, and, and that's it. it. You exploit it. Now you have access to all these phones. So going back to surve private surveillance, so there are two types of private surveillance out there now prominent. The, the one like NSO group, and there are other actually groups, like Bright, uh, Seller Bright, I think it's an, is another Israeli company, and Israelis are really good at these tools. Yeah, and is the only thing that differentiates them affordability, or is there something else? Yes, affordability. So the other ones, the employee monitoring tools, which is unbelievable that you don't need to be an employer to buy these tools. You can be a stalker, you can be a spouse, you can be parents, you can be whatever. And you can just buy these tools, it's affordable. You can go buy it, claim you're a business, and just install it in whoever you want. So now it's private surveillance for sale, and it's affordable. That scares me, that we have these tools available uh, for the masses, for the yeah. public. So now we're just... It's very difficult to trust our own computers. Once you have physical access to a computer or a phone, you can install these creepy tools on them. And like you said, Sweden, the United States, Norway, United Kingdom, the countries we think were very advanced in their thinking around surveillance and around personal autonomy, privacy. These are the countries we, we think um, appear to be the top countries that are using these employer surveillance, employee surveillance tools. Yeah, you shared with me this uh, scientific American, the spying on your emotions. Do you want to talk about it? Spying on our emotions. Well, yeah. we uh, learned about this this shift from the attention economy into an emotion, emotion economy. economy, which which is so frightening, just that, that phrase in itself. So this, this article is largely describing that shift. It was on um, a Scientific American, and it was written by John McCate. So in Liverpool, England, at the February 2020 conference, on the, on the rather unglamorous topic of government purchasing attendees circulated through exhibitor and vendor displays, lingering as some bypassing others, they were being closely watched around the floor. 24 discreetly positioned cameras tracked each person's movement and catalogued subtle contractions in individuals' facial muscles at 5 to 10 frames per second as they reacted to different displays. The images were fit to a computer network where artificial intelligence algorithms assist each person's gender and age group and analyzed their expression for signs of happiness and engagement. Wow. Look at that. 
So now I just read the news that you, you sent. So what do you think of this? Well, it's a scary development and it commercializing our behavior around our emotions. So they would, I imagine, what this conference is describing is that they're going to sell the emotional, our emotional content, our emotional state onto other parties and that we, our emotions then become the product if I'm reading this right. It is amazing. We talked about November 4th, accessnow.org. They published this call to Spotify investors, stand up to human rights. And they talked about the patent, uh, the voice recognition patent technology that Spotify registered the early 2021 this year. And they could listen to your voice and they could tell your emotional yes. state. You, they could tell your gender, your age, even your accent, which is, it's just like, that's a privacy invasive technology. So Access now being calling investors not to invest. I think Spotify is a Swedish company, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't know that. Yeah. If you look at the world today, most companies are either from Silicon Valley or from China, the like prominent tech companies. It's very interesting to see one coming from Europe, but they are, they're looking up to Silicon Valley because when we talk about the emotions, Google have patents about emotions and mood uh, messaging based on the emotions. Sony Pictures have that. Now Spotify have that. It is really, like, when do we... It's a growing market. Is it regulated? What are the ethics here when you identify yeah. people well, who didn't share this information with you? You're just I, concluding. Yeah. Well, if I remember correctly, that some the names of some of those patents had very, very scary titles. Yeah. We talked about it in the privacy. Yeah. Actually, we talked about it with our Angus Murray's episode. Interview, yes. Yeah, it will be interesting to listen to that one. It says here why they're calling investors. I'm, I'm reading from accessnow.org. Um, they said, emotion access now major concerns with this technology that Spotify is going to use emotion manipulation, monitoring emotional state and making recommendations based on it, puts the entity that deploys the tech in, in a dangerous position of power in relation to a user. We always talk about the imbalance between us as people using this technology and the maker. Hmm. It's very, it's very imbalanced, and it's also not. It's based on our ignorance. We do not ignorance, lack of knowledge. I would call it. We are not aware that these technologies are being deployed against us as humans. And it's really unfair to ask people to have self-control or have people ask them to uh, disconnect or stop using technologies that are addict addictive. Mm. It's very unfair because people are not aware it's designed this way. The other reason they list spot of uh, access now is discrimination because now this patent could actually identify your gender yeah. So, and, and based on your gender, then I will, what if I don't want to be identified, my yeah. gender? I don't want to share this with you. Privacy violation, of course, because what they do, they collect something called environmental metadata. So they know if you're on a bus, they know if you're in a party, they know if you're in a house, and based on that, they give you the suggestion. The other thing, the data security, of course, we always talk about this. Our problem with the large aggregation of and collection of data, whether they needed to do the service or not, and saving it or keeping it in a centralized places is a very high security risk. Once that database or once that platform, let's say Facebook, they got half a billion users' data were available for sale on the dark web. 
And Facebook knew about that since 2018 and did not go and inform the users. They just let it be until it went out in the news. They didn't even apologize. They didn't inform users. Clear they evidence they don't have our best interests at heart. But the whole idea of having so much data collected about it, 80% of our personal data being collected by Facebook. Why would they collect it? And now when it's hacked out in the public, who's the loser here? They don't care. It's us. It's us. You know, the, the, one of the scariest things that that article uh, goes on to, on to say, the one by John McQuaid, mm -hmm. there's uh, further critique of this whole model of pumping it through AI because mm -hmm. what they point out is that many of these emotion AI apps they have their origins in research that was that's now half a century old. So psychologists like Ekman and Friesman that theorized all of these principles around basic emotions and using the face to, to the facial expressions to extract those emotions, those are now hotly debated. It's you might have a certain facial expression and some AI algorithm will think that you're a threat based on your demeanor or how you look. So you might be labeled a threat because of an old, outdated model of facial expression and interpretation. Error, AI error, AR. We, we will have a whole episode about that, hopefully, in the future, where we explain the problematic ethics surrounding AI and also discrimination. Most of it, so AI is a machine, they use machine learning. And they write algorithms, and these algorithms are stupid until you feed it with data and train it. The nice thing about machine learning, it learns, but you have to give it data that are accurate and unbiased okay. for that AI be, to become intelligent, you know? Right. If you give it biased data, let's say one gender, and we have this with the facial recognition that uh, the AI can't recognize people of color. It's like very high rate of, heard about uh, this, yeah. of error, while they can only accurately identify white men, middle-aged white men, which is... Yay for me, the, the but most not so much for everyone else. <laughs> but, but it makes most of the Silicon Valley creators. So the tech makers, it's based on the data they feed it to their eye. So if AI is being used to make decisions on humans' behalf, or take decisions that humans were taking in the past, it's as good as the data you feed it. So if it's biased data, guess what? Those decisions will be biased against certain people of yeah. color because they don't have either they don't have enough data about them to make those right decisions or because of wrong information being fed to them. Yeah. So this is with the AI. There are good news actually uh, happening, but before that, we want to we want to yes. still talk about algorithm, the Facebook news feed. That was an interesting one. The Washington Post, I'll open it here. So in November 15, the Washington Post. Oh, can I read the title on this? Yeah, please go ahead. Why Facebook won't let you control your own news feed. That instantly had my attention. Do you want to read anything from the article? Lawmakers want social networks to offer users a chronological timeline. Leaked documents help to explain why Facebook doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And why Facebook doesn't. So it looks like there's this, um, I guess there's an agenda on behalf of Facebook, really. And this agenda seems to have been leaked by these documents that talked about 
an automated ranking system knows, known as the newsfeed algorithm. Yes, our newsfeed. Our newsfeed. So everyone's got their smartphones, I'm sure, and they've kind of seen these these this newsfeed scrolling, and scrolling. like zombies. There's, you know, have you heard of doom scrolling? Yes, the <laughs> the bottomless ball. Uh, Tristan Harris call it. Oh, the bottomless, the bottomless ball. ball. Wow. So the the whistleblower Francis Haugen really launched this algorithm into the spotlight because it, as it's as the article states here, it systematically amplifies and rewards. Get this, hateful, divisive, misleading, and sometimes outright false content by putting it at the top of users' feeds. Yeah, so the interesting thing about this news, it mentioned that they did an experiment in Facebook. And the experiment, they wanted to turn off the algorithm. So the algorithm today is the one that chooses what shows on your fa- fa- news feed. Yeah. So let's say uh, I'm your friend, I posted something, you won't see it right away. The algorithm will choose when you're going to see it. Supposedly intelligently choose. Yeah. And sometimes choose not to show it to you, although we're friends. It shows you a sponsored ad or it shows you a content from something they think will make you engaged. So the algorithm, when they turn it off to certain people, they monitored their uh, behavior. And they found they logged in less, they shared less, they commented and liked less. Because it just because it's a normal organic feed, like only your, yes. what your friends are doing and the pages you're following. Bad for Facebook, right? Exactly. So they, they found out that, no, we can't let the user just have organic news feed. We have to turn on the algorithm. And Facebook... The, the, uh, take back control. Yeah, take, but in a, what, in a bad way. So the algorithm, what it does, it pumps the feed, the news feed, that make people feel two ways anger or an anxiety. So that's why people, when they log in social media, they have that feeling, mm. either anxiety and fear, it's distress. It's yeah. by design. Yeah, so it is by design because all they care about is making people, they call it driving engagement rates high. And when you say engagement, it means addictive behavior, like we are only just logging in, scrolling and sharing and just spending hours and hours online. So do you suppose, That's what they call engagement traits. Yeah, those engagement traits, which leads to that attention. Yes. So do you suppose, for speculation's sake for a moment, that it wasn't too hard for people at Facebook to figure out after they had their product out there being globalized and this massive market of people using... And then three billion now. Three billion now. They they must have been conducting research and analysis on all of this. So, Doctor Professor Yuna Berger, he's uh, he worked in market research and he wrote the book Contagious. You've been telling me about this book, yeah? Amazing book. I believe I I kind of stay away from opinions. I always like facts and science and research because those are very unbiased. It's not opinions. It just this is science. And Yuna Berger says that. Going viral is not... Um, is it's not, not an accident? It's not an accident. It's science. And he proved that there are certain things in viral posts. And one of them is uh, called the physiological arousal. So there right. are things that are being shared more than the rest because it triggers two emotions in us. Either the emotions of awe, like, you know, when you see the Grand Canyon, you have that emotions of awe. Oh, 
this is magnificent. So people share those things, like Susan Boyle, and he used Susan Boyle. Uh, sure. In yeah. The, uh, uh, Very uh, famous. Got talent. Or ignites emotions of anger and anxiety. Wow, so two extremes. Completely too extreme. How long it takes you to find things that ignites the emotions of awe? Very few. You don't, you don't, it's like really They're extraordinary yeah. Yeah, to, to have those things, like man walking in the moon. But Me the, getting married. <laughs> you were getting married. And it was I like, can't yeah, believe I'm standing here. <laughs> it's so beautiful, your photos. That actually ignited awe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> on a deep level. And it's extremely rare. It's the only time in my life I'm sure I can cite that. Thank you. So here you go. That was an extraordinary day in your life yeah. where you experienced that feeling. Imagine how many times we can experience that feeling during the day. But anger and anxiety is what is easily manufactured. Ah, so it so is science. It's manufactured. So they pumped things. And now a lot of people are a-holes online so it's the, because it's, of that. It's the it's the path of least resistance on a scientific level to target anxiety and anger. And in anger, us. yes. Wow. Yes, and it's funny he mentioned that post that ignites sadness. People don't share it. It doesn't oh. receive the same attention. And algorithms are designed through that. Anything that ignites anger and anxiety, fear, and that's why the misinformation pandemic that we have, epidemic that we have today, it is designed by these algorithms. And that's one of the things a lot of technologists have been asking. We need independent researchers to have access to those algorithms and study them. Yeah, we raised this in a few episodes. And a lot of people say that the makers themselves don't understand the algorithm anymore because the machine starts learning and becomes a being by its own. We lose control. You lose control of the machine you created. And by that stage, the horse has bolted and we're not... Are we able to put the genie back in back in the box through through careful algorithm auditing and review and I think it's it's up once profit is over humanity and privacy you lost the battle profit wins and it doesn't matter what it takes on the way as long as the shareholders holders want to see their profit grow these these tragedies using tech against us, against humanity, democracies, and liberty will continue. And this is why um, I read the book by Jaron Lehner. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. 10 arguments to delete your social media accounts right now. <laughs> and he put it very beautifully. And he talked about the algorithm there that it makes us a-holes. Because there's so much <laughs> anger there. There's so much anger. Like you will go, you create a community or a group, Facebook group, and you want to get support for certain. And people just angry there. Yeah. And those are the people who are angry. The, it gives them the boost. It gives their post the boost. So it's feeding uh, yeah, it's the feeding most negative anger. aspects of our humanity. It's a nightmare. I, I, that's why I removed my Facebook. Although I know Facebook knows a lot about me from my account that I deleted and from all the websites I've been visiting and it has Facebook beacon on them. What do you want to talk about, Well, Reinhard? look, it's, it's usually at this time when, when I start to realize we've probably touched the bottom of the evil bucket for, for an episode or for a chat. But I wanted to share a news article with you from PC Mag about Tim Berners-Lee. Some people may have heard that he's weighing into the conversation about privacy and specifically online privacy. He wants to... He wants to um, I think he, he, he's noticing that his invention is being used in ways he probably never imagined it would be. Um, in this particular article, he's quoted as saying, people ask me 
constantly. Tim, if you could go back in time to 1989, what would you change about how the web was built? When he was asked this, he pointed to the rise of these siloed systems, which I'm curious about, the massive data collection uh, that combine to leave web users little autonomy. And he's quoted as saying that the winner is whoever can collect the most data and the loser is everyone else. Our data is stuck in systems that we as citizens and consumers can't control. And the solution he, uh, he proposed was a user-controlled data storage service called a SolidPod, which is from Interrupt. Now, I don't know much about SolidPod, but it is linked here in the article. So it's, it's, uh, it says here, pod store users' data in a way that you can transfer your data easily, so it's not, you're not locked in one provider, and also give you the permission controls, and that means you, you are the one who control who have access to your data and when, and you wow. can remove those access. In today's world, first of all, data collected with uninformed consent, so we are not informed when we give these consents, data collected without our knowledge, we get analyzed all the time, and that creates new sets of data about us that we didn't even give. They share it with third party. We have no clue who these third parties are. They share it with governments. There's no transparency when government ask for access to our data, like here in Australia with the Identity and Disrupt Act. They can have access to our data, yeah. and if you don't give them access, you are subject to 10 years in jail, and you are not informed as a user that the government access to your data behind your back without your knowledge. Now, what he's trying to do is give back the power to the user. Again, it's very unbalanced, the way our data being aggregated and stored. First of all, so many of us today talk about decentralized network. Blockchain gives us that, mm. where people can store their data on their browsers or can store their data on databases in their homes, so no one have access to it by them. And they are the one who control who have access to it. The other one, if, we, if you're going to collect my data, I need to have access to it and see what you, what you have on me. Correct it if it's wrong. Ask it to delete it if I want. But once they go and share it with all these third parties and then third parties share it with other third parties. Totally out of our control. Exactly. And it's lost. That's it. You don't have access to it. You don't, you don't know where it's sitting. So he's saying that having few platforms act like the gatekeepers of the World Wide Web is not what I aimed when I created the World Wide Web. Mm. And he, he has all the rights to worry. We all are worried about what the internet, or it's a very interesting to know the difference between internet and web. The internet is the infrastructure, it is a network where devices can connect with each other. The World Wide Web is the interface we access a lot of things that resides in the internet, but it's difficult for us to just use command lines or or specialized equipments to access them. We use the World Wide Web and we usually just use things like a browser. A to, visual interface yeah, that helps access this powerful infrastructure of the internet. Yeah, yeah web, web applications run on the World Wide Where Web. we can access files. Web services, uh, a lot of things runs on the, on the web today. Anyway, so I think this is a healthy one. Another healthy one actually was from Apple. If you remember our episode, Planned Obsolescence of Tech, we picked on Apple. Yes. Apple actually, they announced... And you picked on me for all the cables I had in my apartment. <laughs> I want to see those cables <laughs> when I come and visit. But the, the interesting thing that Apple just announced, I'm trying to find the news. I can't, um, I don't know where I put it. 
Oh, there's a. It says Apple will tell you how to fix iPhones, sell parts mm-hmm. to general public. Yes. So starting next year, iPhone 12 and 13, they will make it. You know that the repair manuals are secret. Yeah. You don't have access to that, yes. and also the repair parts. You can even change your battery on your own. You have to pay an arm and leg to Apple, Genius Bar, to do it. And sometimes it's just cheaper, as we mentioned, to just buy a new one. Yeah. Now they. They've been under so much pressure from groups like the right to repair and I fix it. I'm happy they did this. I think my problem, if it's just to take away the revenue from people like I fix it, who for the unethical practices of Apple by making it so difficult to repair our devices, this is a problem. Because again, they're giving it to individuals, but we need to just make it open for repair shops to be able to... Unfortunately, Apple, you know, when you change your screen, they created, because it's a hardware when you change the screen, but what they did, they created a tool, a software, a piece of software, a code. When you change it, that code says, this is not a genuine screen, and it locks it. Yeah. So you, can't, you end up with a brick. <laughs> that is so, for me, that's draconian, what they're doing. But this is a good step. We were really happy to read this in the news. And we hope it, that makes him actually the first mobile manufacturer that gives this. We're hoping really they lead by example the rest. Another good, interesting news was that Facebook decided to end the use of facial recognition. Yeah, end the use of facial recognition. If you remember, we always talk about the sneaky way that Facebook uses um, our facial recognition. They claim they took your consent to do that, but that's yes. not true. And they claim they use it to tag you and, and, protect you. and help the visually yes. impaired. Yes. But it was very problematic because the way they collected, especially that the uninformed consent, is it right yeah, word? Uninformed, uninformed consent. Con- consent. Well, certainly not complete. Not complete consent. But also they used around a billion, we mentioned this in one of the episodes, around a billion pictures taken from Instagram to create facial, rec- facial yeah. templates. Uh, facial recognition, uh, what's the, they call it, what's facial recognition templates, I think? Sounds right. But it's just, they use it to train their algorithm on yeah. recognizing people's emotions. And, and I'm just like, this is just... And I'm sure that the people that had their photos used to train that system when also did not have informed consent yes, about it either. Yes, I don't think any of us had informed. I think the EU, the EU Parliament, I'm, I'm looking it up, the EU Parliament, they banned the use of remote, they call it, remote facial recognition. That's a good thing. I think Europeans, I like the EU, why they're so advanced when it comes to digital rights regulations and privacy regulations and data protection regulations. They have states part of the EU, they were living under undemocratic uh, regimes and governments. You would know quite a bit about that. Yeah. So they have that all-knowing state that they that lived under. state. The, exactly. And they know the dangers of having a very powerful government or a very powerful corporate. And they don't allow it. So they have very, very strong regulations against having these monopolies or so much power in the hands of a few. The state. Which us here in Australia or in the US, we lag behind. I'm very thankful. Well, we're very blessed. (laughs) I think we do need to have that point of view of people living under. Sure. As a counterbalance and a reminder. I think we're done here. Do you have anything? Um, Look, I'm not so sure we 
Oh, actually, no, we did. We did end up going up to Hope because we talked about how Berners-Lee was, was, was weighing into the argument and how Apple and Facebook are doing these things. So I think that's wonderful. It's really good. Yeah, so I read it. It's been fun. Yeah. It beer is. and coffee with Manal and Reinhardt. <laughs> also, we didn't have beer or coffee. We'll leave it room. up. We'll leave it to everyone to decide who's having the beer and the coffee. I want the beer <laughs> and the coffee. If you want to be a guest, let us know. We, we might host people who are interested in these subjects and have these conversations once a month with coffee and beer. You're listening to Tech for Evil. Join us next time.